listening to The Conscious Capitalist. My name is Sidney Wayman, your host. I'd like to welcome you to the show today. I'd also like to welcome my guest, Mr. Calvin Lipscomb, who is a certified financial planner and author of Path to Abundant Living, uh, Financial Truths for Christians. Mr. Lipscomb, how are you today? I'm doing fine. Just call me Calvin. All right, Calvin, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Sidney? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So you're a certified financial planner. Yes. And so let me start by asking you, so what does that mean? What what does it mean, first of all, what does it mean to be a certified financial planner? And then secondly, what does a certified financial planner do? Those are two <coughs> excellent questions. Uh, a lot of people confuse financial planning with investment advising. See, planning incorporates investment advising. That's part of it. But I look at your whole life. Financial planners go, what's going on in your life? If you're having an investment and you have to pull it out in one year because you have a crisis, that investment, as you know as well as I do, that it, it can, that can be a detriment to you. Mm. And why does that happen? Because the investment advisor doesn't know what's going on in your life. So financial planning goes deeper, more than just what stocks to buy and when to sell. It's just comprehensive about you. We look at all aspects of your life, and that's very important for people to at least to have a plan done. Okay, so the financial plan incorporates everything. Um, looking at where you are, your life cycle, where you are in the, in the stage of life, uh, what what you might need to do two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now, and then it develops a, an overall strategy to help you reach those financial goals that you set for yourself. You said it excellently because, right, depending upon what your goals are and your plans and how much time you have, that impacts what type of investment you should do. An investment advisor may not know that. Okay, so... How do you help people? I mean, give me some examples of, uh, you know, situations where, you know, you sit down with someone and, you know, help them think through things. Because I, I presume, you know, most people are looking at, okay, what can I invest in? You know, should I do real estate? Should I do stocks? Should I do commodities or whatever? But, you know, I guess most people aren't taking the broad view of, you know, what should my financial plan be? Because I would expect in some instances maybe people shouldn't invest at this point in time at all. Or Correct. Right. Don't think correct, 100% right. See, that's the advantage of working with a financial planner. We have, as you know, a fiduciary obligation. You may not know, but fiduciary, you, as you know the word itself, that is a strong legal term that I'm not even supposed to do what's right for you. I'm supposed to do what's best above all. Anything that I do, I'm supposed to be able to justify why that was your best interest. So it's a highest standard. Um, you gave an example. I worked with a woman. 50 years old, she wanted to invest. She sh- she didn't need to invest. That wasn't good for her. And people say, well, why would think 50 years old, she lives in a two-family house. That gave me a lot of information. You're 50 living in a two-family house, you're not rent control, rent stabilized. What happens 20 years later when the person needs to sell? How many people want to rent to a 70-year-old single person? So she wasn't even thinking about 20 years down the road, and that's what a financial planner will do. So I said, no, we don't need to invest. We actually need to get home security for you. She lives in New York City, and as you know, home security is a real issue. Right. So we came up with a plan on her purchasing a home, and as you stated, that's not going in the stocks, bond, and that's what a financial planner does. So basically instead of uh, she, she said, hey, I want to invest, you said, well, wait a minute, let's look at the situation. Given your situation, um, particularly in New York City, yes, um, you aren't secure in terms your your living arrangements aren't secure. Correct. Um, so let's rethink things, and instead of thinking about buying some stocks, let's think about buying a home or a place that you can achieve living uh, space security or something. Yeah, yes, correct. So she wound up getting a, a nice condo. Um, you, you know, in New York City, there's plenty of first-time home buyers assistance that people don't take advantage of. So we connected with those resources to help with down payment, closing. So now she has home security. That's really important, in these, in, particularly in New York City in these days and times. So we didn't even do stocks, bonds. So an, an investment advisor would just say, well, give me this money and let me put it in the stocks. And now what happens now if you need a place to stay? And the person wind up selling the home anyway a couple years later. Mm-hmm. So where would she have been? Right. 
So that's why you look at, as you said, a holistic approach about what's going on in your life and what's going to be the best path for you, given your situation. So I guess, <clears throat> pardon me, when, when, mm-hmm. when you initially met with her, I'm wondering, was she was she ready to buy a home or, you know, were, were there some things you had to do and to, to prepare her to 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 be in a position to um, get a mortgage loan or a condo loan, uh, have the down payment, all those other things. So, you know, if you met with her, it's just like, OK, here's the short term plan to get you ready to buy. Um, was that part of it at all? Or yeah, I, I helped her with that process along. Uh, but the first goal is actually determining what to do. Right. See that. So, so mm-hmm. all right, so so all right. The first goal is to determine what someone should do Correct. financially. All right, so how do you how do you determine that? What do you what do you do? Well, that's when we sit down and we talk. What's going on? It's very detailed. I got to know your living arrangement, how much income you have, job security, because not everybody's job is secure. Well, nobody's job is the, secure. Co- correct. You know, can you get another job? All of that makes a difference. Do you spend too much money taking taking care of your grown children? That can be an impediment to your financial security. All of that is important. It gets really detailed, personal, so I can develop a personalized plan for you. Okay. So you help people pull together these plans. Um, And so from your perspective, can you kind of prioritize um, the various interests people should satisfy or the various concerns like for the lady you for the example you gave with the the lady who was renting a space in a two-family house you said you know that's your your initial problem should your initial concern should be um housing stability yes all right um all right so i guess from your perspective housing stability should be one of the first things you, you 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 should take care of in 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 the overall plan and well, then, then I guess you know I don't know what else do people need retirement, right, family, edu- children, education. But all see, that all, stuff. but see, and that's the point. All of that can change because from looking at housing security should be important, but for other reasons, you may have something else as a priority for you. I personally know another woman whom I worked with. I was talking with her. I told her you need to buy a home for you, and that's when they had fifteen years ago the liar loans. She had a nice, good amount of money, twenty thousand. Um, this was before the uh, right around Yankee Stadium blew up. Found a nice three-family home she can buy. She didn't do that because her priority was to make sure her child and grandchildren had a home, which led to other yes, which led to other problems later on. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, yes. need to, I need to think. That. Yes. Right. So, so you you told her she should consider buying this three-family home. Yep to secure her housing arrangements and probably provide some supplemental income. Yes. Her concern was making sure that her children and grandchildren had a home. Yes. Which could have been in her building if she had bought it. In the future, but they was in California. So she took her money and sent it to her daughter in California so she could buy a home. Yes. So her daughter, she sent the money to her daughter. Her daughter bought a home. Yes. Was the home big enough for the daughter's mother? No. To live in. I'm, in just, I'm coming to the skinny. No. And since I was w- with her for a long time, it's 16, 17 years later. She wind up the, the child wind up losing the home. She wind up home insecurity, bouncing around from place to place. And she comes talking to me crying one day about how one of her kids and grandkids said, oh, who are you to talk? You don't have a home. You never Little did they know that she sacrificed for them Uh to have an opportunity. And I told her, you can cry about a lot of things, but don't you cry about that with me. Because I know the truth that you had a chance for home security and you prioritize your children, grandchildren. So let me ask you this. So this 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 um, grandmother, mother, yes. grandmother, um, mm-hmm. unfortunately didn't listen to your advice. But your advice to her was to buy a three-family building up in the Bronx near Yankee Stadium, which 15, 20 years ago would have been, let's say, worth 300000 400000 But today— Not even. You was getting them for 200000 right there once the hub. 
Wow, two hundred thousand. Yeah. Yes. Now, what what what's the value today? I, I don't. You maybe you're looking at a million plus, easy. Right. So so a tremendous return in fifteen years yep. on the property. But but you advised her to get a three family, right? Which would have meant she could have lived in a unit and rented out two units. And those two units could have provided, could have covered you know eighty ninety maybe even 100% of Easy. the housing costs. Yes. All right. So you advise her to do a multifamily investment. But the first woman, the first example you gave, you suggested she buy a condo. Yes. Why, all right. So why, why suggest one buy a condo while another buy a three-family? What, what, what kind of like went into the recommendation? Right. Correct. Yeah. N- knowing the details, um, the, 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 the condo woman did not want to deal with renters not everybody wants to deal with tenants right. she really didn't want to deal with it so what also she, she wanted to stay in brooklyn brooklyn is quite expensive so the main thing she just wanted is home security the other person i said well you know let's squeeze in we don't have a lot of income we're doing the lie alone so we want to make sure we'll be able to cover i always do conservative analysis so if we're just giving the apartment away what would it do it will cover a lot of rent and so, to the, and, and plus, she lives in the Bronx, so it wouldn't be a, a big shift for her. So, with all that information, this is what I came up with. This will be good for you. So, as you can see, two different plans, same situation, but two different plans. And that's what financial planning does, because everyone has different priorities. Let me ask a question, and you can you can say, well, I don't necessarily want to get into that kind of detail or provide that kind of information, but I'm just curious. Um, what share of your client base are African Americans? Mm, what year is about 80%? All right, 80%. So you have some experience dealing with the African-American community. A lot. Um, so so uh, from a financial standpoint, how do, you, how do you evaluate them? If you had to critique African-Americans um, from the standpoint of financial preparedness, um, uh, knowledge of finance, those kinds of things. How would you how would you rate them? I mean, because I'll tell you why I'm asking, mm. because I remember, uh, you know, I'm kind of old. So I remember 20, 30 years ago, you couldn't you couldn't give a black person a stock certificate um, because it was too risky um, and, and it's gambling. And um, you you couldn't get them to uh, to really think long term about money. You know, um, it's uh, you couldn't get them to buy insurance because why should I why should I leave somebody money so they can party on my death? I mean, you just saw these weird attitudes, and I'm just wondering have have you seen the shift? Or I mean, you, you don't seem to be that old, but you said you've been doing this fifteen twenty years or so. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Have you noticed a difference in in attitudes among African Americans over the past fifteen twenty years? Or <laughs> you make it rough to me because I don't I don't believe in hiding. Um, well, just give me a little room for a little cover. African Americans they're like every other Americans, and Americans have a problem planning. And with that being said, any problems in America is always acutely felt by the African American community. So based on that, we are doing worse. And that's the, that is the fundamental problem. We have all these misbeliefs, misconceptions for a lot of reasons about financing, planning, what can and cannot be done. And um, um, we just make excuses. And I, I, I say that to say this because if we know that we are under certain conditions, circumstances that's not equal, if we supposedly know this, then aren't you supposed to plan differently? That's just a question. So if you know you're supposed to plan differently, then my next question is, then why aren't you? And that's that's what's going on. We There's different things we don't want to do. We don't want to take advantage of the opportunities that are available. And I can definitely expound. I had a big fight with somebody online about this. Now, I'm a certified financial planner that tell you been doing this, been doing taxes for 18 plus years, enrolled agent with IRS, registered investment advisor and I was online and this one woman said well you can't do anything with $50,000 this one man challenged me says well I'm waiting Calvin in an email to find out how a person can get a house I know you shouldn't have done that I went online Chicago found a three-family home that's affordable provided the link um, went to the FHA, only need 3.5% down, so that's only like $7,000, and that still wasn't enough. Oh, down payment. Found the program that helps you with down payment and closing. 
all links. And now look at the mindset. He says it can't be done. And here it is. I provide you and provided the links on how it can be done. And I even calculated a high interest rate, as you know, sir. Three single, three family home. You know, if you got decent credit, you're not paying over six percent. Mm-hmm. I calculated the mortgage at six percent, so that's in there. So all of that was covered. Did he ever get back to me saying thank you? Oh, I didn't know. No, he did not. To this day, I'm still waiting for a response. Yeah. So um. So so uh, what are some of the challenges you see the uh, African? african-american community faced i mean i appreciate you know, your your point that um you know americans have issues financially and you know that's well documented yes um you know they say close to 80 percent of the population is living paycheck to paycheck you know surprisingly for a significantly large share maybe 60 percent of the population which is, blows my mind a 400 dollars emergency expense would be a tremendous challenge um, so we we know we know Americans by and large have issues, but you know Black Americans have even like you mentioned even um, more difficult situation because of the legacy of their experience here in America. Yes. So 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 based on that. Um, what do you see? I mean, you know, you hear about the consumerism and, you know, black folks, you know, they, they like big cars, they like the jewelry, they like this that, and the other. Um, who was it? Someone recently, Little Kim, I guess, recently yes. filed for bankruptcy. You know, um, there are examples of, uh, you know, football players, um, basketball players who, you know, signed multi million dollar contract you know one basketball player had signed a hundred million dollar plus contract ended up um, being a um, barista at a you know uh, Starbucks Um, just you know all these things are happening right and and um, what is it you know what 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 are the mistakes that they make you know like a little Kim let's let's say I'm a rapper right and I come up with a hit so I sign this big contract and I get an advance of let's say a five million dollar advance which you know is decent um, so let's make it a, a two million dollar advance right I'm you know what what based on your experience what's the mindset of the person that ends up filing for bankruptcy <laughs> 10 years you know five years out 10 years out when they get that first uh, that first advance well, Sydney, I, like I said, you got me, and we've talked. Got to be honest, full disclosure, we talk online, and I always promise that when I have certain conversations, I'll be honest. Forget them, me. It wasn't until relatively recently that I accepted something that, that I battled for years, that it's not about the money. For many years, I personally believe that it's about the income, and that's a lie. Let me say it again. That is a lie. Once I got involved in this field and deeper and in all, there's no amount of money that can't be spent. There's no amount of money that can't be blown. There's ways of separating you from your money. Because if it was about the money, like you mentioned, how would these people go broke? $100 million and you broke. So it took me a long time to accept that Calvin, no matter how much money you make, you can blow it. So instead of focusing on how much you make, focus on how much you save, how much you invest. Are you living below your means? And that is something that people, as you point out, that's an American problem, that people struggle with, and then more so for us, we struggle with for other reasons. So uh, as I told you, the young man online who didn't believe how it can be done, so it's the same thing. So that's the first hurdle that we have to understand, overcome, that it's not about the money. Because any amount of money you make can be blown. And that's the problem with these rappers and all these other people that we see is because we don't understand that $2 million can be blown. $10 million can be blown. You start living, If you start living like you're making $20 million, it looks pretty. But at the end of the day, you just, you're living above your head. And that's something we don't want to admit. Right. So, so I mean, that's, that's kind of interesting. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. Um, because I agree too, and and it, it takes me back. I remember um, back in the uh, long, long time ago, late seventies, early eighties. I uh, 
late 70s, I had just gotten out of college and I had my first career job at a large chemical company making then what was considered a decent salary. And uh, I was having lunch with some um, other folks who, you know, older, been working for a while, and I was complaining about how little money I was making, how it wasn't enough. And uh, one of the old heads sitting at the table said, yeah, uh, it's not that you're not making enough. It's just that you don't know how to use, you, 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 don't, you, you don't know how to manage it, you know. And, um, and so, so uh, yeah, so yeah. he was making your point that yes. it's not about how much money you make, really. It's about how you use what you make. And I like the point you make about living below your means because you have to live below your means in order to position yourself to take advantage of future opportunities because you have to build up some kind of cash position that you can use to either buy that home or invest or whatever. So so that's that's interesting. So it's, it's not how much money you make. It's how you use what you make. And um, part of it would, has to be um, – learning to live below your means, which is a challenge for black folk in a lot of ways because for so many black folk, um, you know, like you take, you take most, even, even today, mm-hmm. a, a, I would say at least 50%, maybe even more of black folks going to college are first generation. Still, um, yes. Right, you know, so, so that's, that's tremendous. And so, you go to college and, you know, things have changed dramatically since the late 70s when I came out to now. I mean, it's when I came out, you got a job with a large company. It was a job for life, supposedly. But then the 80s came along and, you know, uh, um, leveraged buyouts and mm-hmm. you know, this whole foreign competition. And so now we got to, you know, become more efficient and figure out ways to boost the bottom line, which might mean we'll ship work overseas or whatever. So things have changed dramatically. But let's say, you know, even today, you have uh, someone who goes to college, majors in an area where there's, you know, decent demand for the skill. They come out and they start making a decent amount of money. Um, it, it's, it's like that rapper in a lot of ways that who's, who gets that $2 million advance. You know, oh, you know, I have a $80,000 a year salary. Um, wow. Um, I can do things that I never thought I could do before. You know, I could buy that car I wanted. You know, I could do this. I could do that. Um, and, I, you know, I just wonder whether, and it, it seems to me that um, the, the mistake they make is that they take a very short-term approach to things or, or they don't, they're not looking at the long game, which is, you know, how do I take what I'm making now? How do I how do I position myself? You know, that's one thing I realize. People are very short-sighted. Um, until you get older, you don't think about the future. Correct. When what we need to do is teach our folk to, you know, your 20s and 30s and 40s, you're still a child. And if you do the right thing, starting out in your 20s, you can get to the point where in your 50s, you can do whatever you want to do. But you have to start planning in your 20s. But we don't think that way. You know, we, we most of us don't think that way. Um, you know, we, we, we get that job, we start making that money, and we start saying, okay, well, now I can do what I haven't been able to do before. I can buy the clothes I want to wear. I can buy the car I want to drive. I can, I can do all these things. And that becomes more of a priority than thinking about, okay, I've got this job, now how can I make this job or this income position me so that at 50 I can tell the world to kiss my butt? Correct. You know, um, uh, you know so, so that's kind of interesting. And and so, but, but you know, it's interesting, like the, 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 the initial question was whether you notice any changes in the mindsets and behaviors of African Americans. And, and I have to say that, you know, I, I am pleasantly surprised and happy to see that more and more folk are looking at investing and taking more of an active approach in, you know, what can I do to, to improve my wealth? Uh, but right. I, I, I never want to sound, well, I say I'm never going to run away. In the African-American community, there's always been those who did well. There's always been those who strive. 
always. We can go back to slavery. We can uh, go back to Reconstruction. We can go back to Jim Crow. I tell people, when has that not been the case? So when we analyze your question a little bit more, the question is, is there really more? Or it's just more or less the same type, more or less the same percentage who always is moving forward. And in my view, from what I'm, from what I'm seeing, it's basically the same percentage. It's not really more. Because um, going in because of what I do, I'm involved in the lives. I know. I know what people, I've been working with certain people 10, 15 years. I know what they could have accomplished by just putting away $1,200, $1,500 a year. I know, and that's the difference. That's why I talk a little bit. I seem abrasive, but I know a lot of, as you know, a lot of people talk about what they can and can't do, and you have that conversation, and you don't know their numbers. But when you sit down and I do your taxes, I see the numbers. I know what you can do. Other things come up, and and then I hear you talking about how you're going on a five thousand dollar vacation. <laughs> so I know, and that's the difference. So, and the real question is, what do you really want for you and yours? And I'm going to just put it like that out there for the people. What do you really want for you and yours, and what are you prepared to do? So tell me, what should I be? What should one be prepared to do if they if they're concerned about themselves and theirs? Well, as you mentioned, the first step is living below your means. How much below my means should should I live? Well, that know? that's up. And how and, much how much of my gross income should I be saving a year on average? Are there any averages that you can use? Well, they, they talk about ten percent, but see, that's where the details become important. I don't know. There's so many things you. Well, remember, I, I come a lot of this from the tax side. Uh, I think about a lot of tax savings. Quick example that comes to mind. I had this one. I'm aware of this one gentleman. Made fifty. He made fifty thousand dollars. He had four kids. Based on the income tax, his tax liability is zero. I think you and I talked about it. He's supposed to be opening up a Roth IRA, putting five thousand. But he didn't want to do that because he says he's good. He does. But kids grow up. You lose that benefit. You know, like you mentioned, any long-term thinking. And this was just a quick conversation, like trying to help you out financially. So his mind was closed, wasn't preparing for the future. And this is an ongoing problem. It really is. It is an ongoing problem that needs to be addressed. Well, wait a minute. Let's, we're assuming that our listening audience, everyone in our listening audience knows what a Roth IRA good point. is. Mm-hmm. So why don't, why don't you tell us what a Roth Well, Well, a Roth IRA, good, good point, is just a way of saving your money. You have two IRAs. Plain and simple, one says you put this money here, you get taxed later. You put this money here, uh, you get taxed now. And they just grow for savings and investing. They have books talking about which one is best. Um, But for his situation, the skinny is let them tax you now because his tax liability was what? Zero. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, so, I mean, I, I, you know, I have to take exception with you on that. I mean, I, you know, hands down, I can't imagine. The Roth not being better than the plain IRA under any circumstance. Well, again, because I do taxes, so here it is. You do the IRA, lowers your income, and now it allows you to be eligible for $2,000 in tax savings and allows you $2,000 for the earned income tax credit. All right, so, but what, all right, so what we'd have to do is, you know, take the present value of those tax savings over time and look at, like if you had done the see the to me the value the value of the Roth is that after five years you can start withdrawing. For, well, first of all, the value of the Roth is that um, your gains are not taxed. Correct. And after five years, um, you can start making withdrawals from and, your capital, and they're not, and that's not taxed either. All right, correct. All right. So so then the question becomes, and what's the maximum? You know, if the maximum you could put into a Roth is. Four thousand? No, I think about uh, right now about fifty five hundred dollars. Fifty five hundred a well, year. But, but but again, but hold it now. See, this is where it says it gets complex because now you're talking about well, what if I need this? What are the other options? That is a different calculation. But in terms of the raw numbers, it depends. Uh, let me let me give you an example. I did a calculation for somebody where people go wrong, and I talked to other financial advisors about this. That tax savings now, so here it is, you're saving five thousand dollars in taxes. What if you started investing that? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So um <clears throat> pardon me. So the maximum amount you can put in any IRA is fifty five hundred. About right for this year. I gotta I gotta right, look right. up. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean about that, right? Mm-hmm. About fifty five thousand fifty five hundred. All right. So basically what that does is let's say so 
if your income is fifty thousand, mm-hmm. all right, so it'll go from your taxable income will go from fifty thousand down to forty five thousand, mm-hmm. right? That change, that difference is not going to yield a five thousand well, dollar savings tax savings. No, no, that that is a good point. I'm thinking about if you. 401k between you have the option between a Roth 401k and the traditional 401k you can they have Roth 401ks yes Roth 401ks which means you invest post-tax post-tax after tax that's right but your earn your gains or whatever are non-taxable correct right. can you also withdraw after five years or is that only with the well that's part of if the plan allows it if the plan that's it now you're talking about the plan but that's what I was thinking about so mm. but as you can see but for the real back to your real question, you said, "Well, was there a scenario?" And I just provided mm-hmm. a scenario where right. it might be beneficial, maybe. But now, as you got in a little deeper, well, what if this can? So there's other calculations why a why a traditional may not be optimal with other things going right. on in your life. So it gets back to your point: mm-hmm. is that you have to think through everything, yes, before you make a decision. And even then, you also have to remember that. Things change. And so the decision you reach today may not be the decision you would have reached a year from now. Or even though you made a decision today, it might not work out because something changed, something unforeseen happens in the future. So you always have to be flexible about what you're doing and kind of like look at things and see how things are going. Correct. Correct. And that's that's why they call it. It's a plan. And things things sometimes go better. Sometimes things go worse. Some things come really 100 percent out of the blue. Um, and that, that, that that's why you always want to do like they always say a five year update. This is your plan. This is what you want to do. Um, and you want to think about, OK, what if things go a little bit wrong? Because you really want to stick to the plan. Because, right. you, as you know, the value of investing is consistency and time. You don't want that broken up. You want to avoid that at all costs. Consistency and time is your friend. Let me ask you this. Huh? Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the problems that I found that uh, black folks faced, particularly black entrepreneurs faced, was the availability of capital question. Um, that it's very hard for them to get the capital they need to start a business, grow a business, et cetera. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, I... Um, relatively old, but I can go back into the late 70s, early 80s when it was really uh, a problem. I mean, yes. it, well, it still is a problem, but it was it was really a problem. Um, in, your, in your efforts at developing plans for people or whatever, do you ever uh, suggest that people maybe look at investing in a small business or that kind of thing, or have you ever had a reason to, to think that? Do you know any black folks that have the capital base that could afford to bear the risk of that kind of investment? I, there's something going around now called Tulsa, the Tulsa, the Tulsa Fund, Tulsa Real Estate Fund. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, um, fair disclosure, that's something we've been talking about online quite a bit. Now, now there was someone who wrote a summary of the investment and posted it and you know I read that and I googled stuff I couldn't find anything about it right except what this person said and then and then the 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 website for the company which provided very little information but I don't know some, suddenly suddenly I someone mentioned a prospectus or offering circular and I googled that and I came across one right now initially Initially, the person who did the summary, investment summary, made some very valid points, some of which I don't necessarily agree with. You know, um, like I don't care whether if someone has an idea to make money and it makes sense, I don't care whether they put their money into it. You know, if I've done an analysis and it makes sense, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And I trust the person, you know, and, you know, they've demonstrated their ability to execute a plan or whatever. It might not buy it, it. Chances are I could get over the fact that they didn't put their own money into the deal because, you know, other people's money. I mean, that's that but that that used to be the mantra a few years ago, you know, use other people's mm-hmm. money. I mean, all right, so then there were some other things. Um right, but but based on that initial review this person did, I went and tried to find stuff and all I could find was on their website and based very little was on their website. I mean, they would they wanted to do 
they were going to stop gentrification by investing in these businesses or whatever. So my thing was like, okay, you know, the reason I can't deal with this is that there's just not enough information for me to make a decision. I can't, given the information I found on their website, I can't make a decision. And people were going back and forth, back and forth for a few days. And then suddenly, I guess over the weekend, somebody posted something and I was able to see that there was a prospectus or offering circular. And I actually read it, right? And, you know, at first I perused it. So, and I was making comments, right, that turned out like, you know, I think I said, hey, you know, um, the way they're setting this up, you know, each property will be purchased by LLC and it's not clear who owned the LLC. And so from my perspective, looking at it, um, oh, they were supposed to split the profits 50-50 between the people, the investors, the members buying these units and, and the manager. And I'm like, okay, so if they're creating these LLCs, um, the manager could um, structure it so that all the profits could be at the LLC level, and so there would, wouldn't be any profits to split with the members. But then someone said, "Oh no, no, you got to look and see that you know that it's fifty-fifty. You know, I mean, the the um, the fund will own will will own the the LLCs." So I'm like, "Okay, well that's you know, so mm-hmm. you can't play with profits that way, right?" Um, but anyway, I started reading some more of the information, and and it really looked because people were like slamming this fund, right? And I didn't have time to go look at another fund the offering memorandum for another fund. But based on prospectuses I've read throughout my life and based on the structure of those prospectuses, I didn't see where this prospectus was substantially different than some of the others that I've seen. All right? Um, you're, <laughs> you're making a face. So I, all right, so... so um, so, so after reading what I read in the perspectives, you know, the, the big deal for me would be that there was nothing demonstrating that the managers had ever done what they said they want to do. So there was no proof for me that they could execute the plan. That That's one thing. The other thing was that, that I thought was kind of strange about it was that they were raising money. They were offering people eight percent, all right, um, and then they were going to lever that up eighty-five percent, right? So they would take fifteen percent of the fund's money, which would be at a cost of eight percent. Then they were going to, you know, I guess do mortgages or something to finance the property. In this environment, they'd probably have to be, you know, I don't know, five percent, ten percent. I mean, I, I don't know what the rate of bank, what what the interest rate would be, but. They're going to have an 8% obligation plus the interest rate, right? And so a blended rate, their blended rate is going to be anywhere from 6.5% to maybe up, maybe even 10%. It depends on the rate they can get from a bank and or a, a lender. And given their experience, I, I just think they're going to have to pay a relatively higher rate because of the experience. But anyway, so so they're going to have a blended rate of like, let's say, 9%, 10%. How do you generate that kind of return on a real estate investment? Right? Where What types of real estate investments can you generate a 10% cash return so that you can pay off or pay the mortgage and pay the 8% to the members? Right? That That was kind of that's where you know that's something I was thinking about. But anyway, I thought what 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 I like about it is that people are trying to do something. Yeah, that right? that, that, that that is that, important. That's what I like right now. Um, some of the critiques early on, before I read the prospectus, I was like, "Oh, you made a lot of sense." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, they, you know. but once I read the the prospectus, it provided. Sec- more information, mm-hmm. and like while I probably still wouldn't invest, I can't say I don't I don't see that as a scam. People are saying, "Oh, it's a scam." It's this, that, or the other, and um, I don't see that as a scam. The one thing that and see one of the things is non-voting. So members, people who buy these units, they don't have a voting right, but right. they do have they do have a voting right. They do have limited voting rights, um, and you know they can vote out the manager for negligence and malfeasance. Which, in other words, he committed a crime, which is different, <laughs> right? So for, for me, though, for me, 
I'd want to be able to vote the manager out if they can't do deals. If they if they can't they they don't have to you don't have to be a criminal. It, you don't have to be um I want to be able to get rid of somebody if they're a poor manager. Right, poor performance. Right, poor performance. And there was there was no out for that. You could not get rid of the manager no, for no. out, which is why that would probably be the primary reason for you. I wouldn't invest, no. right? But you know, I don't know. So, well, the skinny that uh, it the way the, it's common. That's not uncommon right. that the management can't be voted out. So I can't kill them for that. That really is a common practice. Um, it's, that's done regularly. Um, Poor performance. Yeah. Well, I, that, that it's believe it's in the it's a common practice. If you I'm familiar with the field, the industry. It is a common practice. He's just uh, taking it to the next level. He's not a he's not a trading stock. So that's so you got to keep it. He's not a stock, and he's larger than someone private. These things go on very privately. Banks, as you're aware of, you know it's not un, it's not uncommon for a real estate deal to happen among private people who have money. I got thirty people, each with a million dollars. But so he's between a stock and someone like that. So that is not that is not uncommon. I can't kill him for that. But the only thing I, I, I would say it's it's very important to have a clearer plan. As you read the perspectives, it's basically an anywhere plan where we can find the money and um, so you, or and wherever they can find the property. Uh, right, right. Not the money. Correct. Wherever they can find the property or the deal. And how is that stopping gentrification if you're trying to concentrate in one area? That's all that I'm saying. See, that's the other thing, though. And and this is this is you know, black folks are caught between a rock and a hard place in a lot of instances because I you know I commend um, the effort to help alleviate the pressures of gentrification, um, the pressure of black folks not owning, um, but this type of fun, right? So, but how do you do that? I mean, you know, I'm not sure. To do that, you have to have individuals owning property or you're going to own the property that you rent to these individuals and you agree not to sell them or whatever. Or you, you know, you agree to not fall victim to the pressures of gentrification. Um, and, you know, I don't know. It, it's kind of hard to do that when, like, for example, we're in Brooklyn. Um, there were some predominantly black neighborhoods in Brooklyn that had tremendous um, real estate, you know, brown, be- beautiful brownstones, right? Mm-hmm. We can talk about Bedford-Stuyvesant. Yep. We can talk about Crown Heights, right? Um, neighborhoods where a lot of the property was owned by black folk, and they chose to sell, and even today they sell. Right. All right? Now the question becomes... Okay. Do I preserve the ethnicity of the community by trying to sell only to black folk or do I maximize my return? Few black folks can afford the prices that a lot of these buildings are going for now. There it is. And so the question becomes to preserve, to, to stop gentrification, in these neighborhoods, um, you'd have to either find black folk who could afford to to buy these brownstones, or the seller has to take a cut, um, or this fund could come in and buy the properties. But if you think about that, right? I've, I've often wondered what what is it? What causes this gentrification? And you know, when you think about it, what probably happens? Because I know in a lot of these neighborhoods, prices, price increases generally did not follow the the average for a city. Like in Philly, I was born and raised in Philly. My mother, my parents bought a house um, back in um, the late 40s, early 50s mm-hmm. in North Philly for $2,500, right? That property, the value of that property didn't increase much through the 70s. Yep. Um through the 80s. Now, eventually, as Temple started buying more and more of the area, um, the value started going up. In places like Brooklyn and like Harlem, Crown Heights, where you see these prices going up, you say, well, what, what's causing that? And what's causing it, it seems, 
is the tremendous increase in demand created by the white folks who are moving in. If you take away that demand, would prices go up as much? You you you're hundred hundred percent right, and you know, like you said, this that pro that gets a little deeper as you talk about redlining, not willing, because there's blacks who there there's a, not a whole lot, but there's a few. Mm-hmm. I'm, you, you're older, like you, you remember Strivers Road was redlined. Right. There was people who who wanted to sell for more, and they couldn't eat to other blacks because they was redlined. They want to pay so. But you raise a good point. Yeah, right. For the individual sellers, no. But this is where the gentrification occurs on the next level is when the apartment buildings that all of a sudden goes up and you can no longer afford the rent or they kick you out. Right. The individual buildings, private homes, that's an issue. But as you said, you want to maximize your your profits and you can't can't kill anybody for that. But as we know, the biggest issue is the apartment buildings. Now, all of a sudden, rents are now $2,500 a month. How many people can actually afford that? What type of population can afford that? So that's what actually drives that wedge further into that to that, to that other area. So a fund like this can actually do a lot. It's a low- and middle-income housing development. I'm just what's No, in- no, yeah, yeah. But, 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 but so you say housing development, right? So you take a place like New York, like Brooklyn, right? Yep. And you can see, like, buildings going up all over the place. I'm just wondering... How could the fund? There's a basic cost to a building. Yep. Right, and then you know you put in granite tops and you know sub-zero appliances or whatever the price goes up. But the question becomes that very basic price to build. Let's say a a ten-unit apartment building. Mm -hmm. Let's say the very basic price to build that might be I don't know. Ninety thousand a unit, maybe a hundred thousand a unit. So it's ten units. So that would be a million dollars. All right. So can the fund build that um, that building and then make the kind of return it needs to make in order to satisfy its investors? Well, yes, you can. Again, yes, you can. You got low income tax credits which brings down the value um, because you're also doing low-income housing. Uh, even For example, you only allow 10 units, but because you're doing low-income tax credits, I'm going to allow you to put up an extra four units in there. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So <laughs> you just brought something up, right? So now this is this is really the question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so these, uh, they have... Uh, New market tax credits, and they had some property tax credits. What were they called? New market tax credit was supposedly designed to provide equity capital for businesses, but was subverted by the banks to make it real estate based. So it became very much like the there was a tax credit program before the new markets tax credit. I forget what that was called, but that was for low income housing too, right? So. So if these tax credit programs have not produced the, the, the volume of low and moderate income housing that is needed, why, you know, what is, is it because this fund is dedicated to that cause that maybe they could have an impact? Well, of course they can. Once again, you said the right word, they can. Because, like, if I'm an individual... Um, developer, and my real goal, my real goal is to maximize my return. I want to take advantage of all these credits and not actually use those credits what they're designed for, if that's ultimately my goal to maximize profit. This fund here, and we're talking about real maximization, so easily covering, let's just say, the 10% that you will need. Now, if I got a more social responsible fund, I'm actually going to use those credits what it's for. I'm going to target the population that I'm looking to target. So, those, so is there a real chance that it can it be done? And that's the key word, can it? Yes. Will it? That's a different story. But you can't, you can't accomplish something that can't be done. But can it be done? Yes. Will they do it? That's what the fund is designed to do. But your issue with it is that their plan leaved a lot. The, the, the discussion of their plan and how they plan to do it was practically non-existent. Well, working, working on what you're saying. Uh, think about it. If you're going to d- deal really with gentrification, you really have to be 
targeted. You have to be micro-focused. So, for example, gentrification happened in parts in Chicago. Well, you have to focus on Chicago. You buying one building in Philadelphia and then you buying one building in New York and you buying one building in Chicago, how is that actually dealing with gentrification? No, you're not. Yeah, I mean, you know, so but yeah, but that gets to another point. Maybe that's something because we're running out of time. Mm-hmm. But uh, so you'll have to agree to come back at some point. So maybe we can finish this conversation. But that gets back to another point, right? So how how does how do you how do you solidify a community? Well, you got to have a real community, and I'm I'm not being funny. No, I understand. Right, right. But you got to have a real community. That means I own the land, I own the businesses, I own the services for that community. Um, oh, just, man, you sound like you. You sound a little, a little bit like Marcus Garvey. Or, well, well, that's anybody. No, that's uh, that's a, no, that's a real community. Like I, when you look um, Williamsburg around there, you got a large, you no, know, large Orthodox community. When you walk down the street. The shop owners, they own the land. A lot of them own the land. The shop, they see themselves. They're plumbers. There's no judgment in that. Fine. So in our community, a lot of times when you when you call a plumber, they're looking like you. Are they the owner? When, when they call, so there it is. So now your, your dollar is now no longer circulating in your community. When I give that person who's a white plumber who doesn't live in your community, he or she's going to go and pay rent someplace else, pay more. So that dollar's going someplace else. But now if I'm paying you and you happen to live in the community, so you're paying rent in your community who owns, so you see how that dollar is circling within the community. Then you're going to go to the restaurant in your community, the dollar is circling. That's just objective. Wow, that's interesting. That's interesting. Hey, look, you know, it was a great conversation, Calvin. Thank you so much for showing up today. I really appreciate it. Like I said, maybe we can agree to have you back again. Um, maybe what we can do is maybe create a, a, a conversation quarterly, monthly, where you can come in and just share. Um, your insights on things. We could just look at what's happening in the world today. Um, and, and we can look at it from the certified financial planner's perspective mm-hmm. who says, says you need to plan regardless. I mean, I, I think that would be really helpful. I think, um, you know, a lot of the issues we talked about here reflect the fact that, you know, we're not planning enough. And so, um, you know, we're, we're losing the but battle. Well, I, I definitely would like to personally come back and just maybe have a segment talking about the planning field, because that really is the new it for the next 20, 30 years. It it really is. There's a lot of people, you know, a lot of things filtered down to what's very late. And I'm not going to pretend things change. As you know, if you're in the 70s, early 80s, you go to college, you did philosophy, you got a job. That's <laughs> not the case now. Things change in what a lot of us doing, we're pouring into college. We're a bit late now. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So... That is something I definitely would love to. And I would love to come back for sure. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you, Calvin. Thank you. Listening audience, thank you so much. You've been listening to a discussion, a conversation I was having with uh, Mr. Calvin Lipskin, who is a certified financial planner and author of Path to Abundant Living, Financial Truths for Christians. Uh, I'd like to thank you for listening. And until next time, may wealth be yours. I'm the conscious capitalist, Sidney Wayman. Thank you for listening to The Conscious Capitalist, presenting your world in dollars and cents. Until next time, check us out at www.needtoknow.biz. Need to know, N-E-E-D, the number two, no, K-N-O-W, dot B-I-Z.